was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. The punishment that we should have got, but that ultimately brought us peace, fell upon him. An amazing truth. What a humbling thought. And you know, that's what we celebrate and what we recognize when we come to the Lord's table. And we're going to do that in just a little bit. On normal days when we come to the Lord's table, I strictly talk about that. Today we're going to go back to the Sermon on the Mount for a few minutes. I will not accomplish what my ambition set out to do when I listed the text and the sermon. I, I won't get through with this sermon today. Uh, so we'll have time for the Lord's Supper as we come to the close of it. But we will get it started. Jesus, if you remember several weeks ago, we've taken a two-week break to talk about the foundation of Grace Baptist Church. But on our last sermon, if you remember, Jesus made a rather astonishing and perhaps even a maybe troubling comment to some of us. He said in chapter 5, verse 20 of Matthew's Gospel, in that Sermon on the Mount that we're looking at, he made this statement. He said, For I say to you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, now that is a stark statement to make. When we realize, as we talked about before, when we realize that in the eyes of men, in the eyes of, of Israel in Jesus' day, the scribes and the Pharisees were viewed by the people as being the holiest of the holy on the earth. They interpreted the law. They scribed, they transcribed the holy scriptures. They, they lived in the word in a very strict sense of the word. But yet, Jesus says, unless your righteousness is greater than, unless it exceeds that, of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now we saw that that righteousness that Jesus is talking about is a righteousness that we will never be able to obtain ourselves. That that is the righteousness of Christ which covers every believer. Every man, woman, boy, girl that comes to faith in Jesus Christ, they are covered by the righteousness of Christ. And the righteousness of Christ alone. So what Jesus was saying there was this, listen, you must be covered by me. You must be covered by my life, my perfect life, my absolutely holy life, or you will not enter the kingdom. Then he goes on in the passage we want to begin looking at today to talk about relationships on this earth, to talk about situations on this earth, and to take those and take the law and make a clearer application of the law to what these situations are. Indeed, I entitled this sermon, uh, Jesus on the Sins of Our Day. Because the things that Jesus is talking about here are things that plague our world. They plague our world because we have, let, we have had a massive, tremendous worldview shift, if you will, uh, through the last 20 or 30 or 40 years. We have seen America, we've seen our culture move from what we might call a basic Judeo-Christian ethic that acknowledged that while 
we may not live it out perfectly and acknowledge that while there may be things going on behind closed doors, that at least we acknowledge that what God has said in His Word, in the commandments and in the truth of His Word, that that is at least true. We may fail in it, we may not live up to it, but it's at least true. And we give it an acknowledgement. I remember in school, when I was in high school, back in the dark ages, they had my 40th uh, reunion last night in, in Oxford, Alabama. I didn't go because um, those folks have gotten old, and I didn't want to see all those old folks. But, I, uh, but 40 years ago, when I was in high school, 40 years ago, you, know, you had teachers who, who at least put up a front. Now, whether that's good or not, that's hypocrisy, we know. But at least they put up a front to, to some kind of ethical behavior, some kind of ethical understanding. Today, I understand in many situations in schools, the teachers just let it all hang out, as we used to say 40-some-odd years ago, and, and try to cover up nothing. Their immorality, their lifestyle, it's, it's not hidden, it's not denied, it's not tried to cover up at all. Well, Jesus comes along and starts talking about three basic things that we're going to try to deal with today. We won't get to the last one, I'm sure. But, but he starts talking about these relationships. He first talks about murder. And then he talks about adultery. And then he talks about divorce. Later he'll talk about oath-taking and, and, and revenge and other things and how those relate to the law and what Moses' law said. But he's real concerned that we understand that maybe just a, a wooden-headed literalism, just a, a wooden-headed saying, oh, well, I don't do that, is not fully understand the significance and the depth of the law. Follow along as I read, starting in verse 21. Remember, this is coming out of Verse 20, that unless your righteousness exceeds, surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court, and whoever uh, says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the supreme court. And whoever says you fools shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and, and, there, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar. Don't give it yet. Just leave it there and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way, so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid uh, up the last cent. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman for, with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than your whole body be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. 
But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except for the reason of unchastity or uncleanness or uh, pornania makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Let me, make, let me start at the, begin, at the end here for just a minute, because I, I won't get to this today, but I want to, you know, th- that verse 32 is perhaps one of the most difficult passages in all of Scripture to grasp. Uh, I'll be honest with you. Whoever divorces his wife causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. I'll break that down a little more when we get to it, but I want you to understand there is a legitimate constructional understanding of this, and it To me, it makes more sense what Jesus is saying here that a little more literally it might be that whoever divorces his wife except for the reason of uncleanliness makes her appear to commit adultery or makes her fall into the danger of committing adultery. Uh, There's a construction of the Greek there that's kind of a little tricky. And and there is an understanding that what Jesus is saying here is is you make that appear that way and you may very well push her into that because in that day there was not a whole lot of choices for a woman who had been sent away from her husband except prostitution. So Jesus may very well be saying there, I want you to understand that that the husband, it sounds like the husband's getting off scot-free here, doesn't it? Sounds like you send her away, you're just making her commit adultery, and if anybody marries her, then they commit adultery, and the, the, the guilty husband is set free. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. So I want you to understand that, and we'll talk about that when we get to it, and we won't get to that today, I'm sure, because of time restraints. I want you to go back to verse 21, though, and I want you to see something here that, that's kind of interesting. Jesus starts out each one of these statements with something along this line. You have heard that the ancients were told, verse 21. Verse 27, he says, you have heard that it was said. Verse 31, it was said. And and you can go on through the rest of these. Again, you've heard the ancients were told. It sounds like Jesus may be saying, okay, you've heard this, but that wasn't true. This is what truth is. He's not saying that at all. He's not even saying what Moses said wasn't right or wasn't deep enough or wasn't rich enough. He's not saying that at all. He's just saying that, listen, in those 613 some odd laws that the Pharisees and the scribes, the men of the law, have come up with to try and clarify the Ten Commandments, they've not clarified at all. Many times they have just simply made it more mucky, if you will. And so in verse 21, he starts talking about the whole idea of murder. You've heard it said that you shall not commit murder. Now we know that's a direct... Uh, quote from the, the Ten Commandments. You shalt, thou shalt not kill. And the word kill there means murder. Thou shalt not murder. I mean, you've been heard the ancients told that and they left it there. And whoever commits murder shall be guilty of the court. I mean, there's, there's no equivocation on that. There's no misunderstanding that. It's straightforward. It's clear. But Jesus said there may be a little more Deeper application of that. There is a more deeper application of that. He says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing. You ever done that? You good for nothing. Yeah, I know. Well, if you say that, then you'll be guilty before the Supreme Court. Not talking about the U.S. Supreme Court there, but the Supreme Court. And whoever says you fool which is a word there in the Greek that literally is questioning their moral turpitude, questioning their old life of morality and their their life morals. If you say, you fool, you shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Jesus says here, I want you to understand that anger is a problem. 
that hatred is a problem. That, that in the same way in adultery, we'll talk about in a minute, that if you lust in your heart after a woman, that is already committing adultery with her in your heart. Jesus is saying, I want you to understand that if you hate someone or are angry towards someone in an uncontrollable sort of way, in an outburst of anger, then in your heart you've already murdered them. You've already taken their life in your own mind, in your own heart. He said, and you're guilty before God. There's one clear thing here you need to understand, especially in our day. Jesus uses a word here that most of us do not like to talk about. He uses a word here that most of us have been tricked into believing must just be an analogy. It must just be you know, not really true. But it's that little word, hell, and he calls it fiery hell two different times. I want you to understand this. Jesus believed in and Jesus taught that hell is a very real reality. It's a real place. It's a real existence. It's a real place where those who are not forgiven of their sins and made righteous in Christ by the, by the blood of Christ on the cross, it is where they go. And it's where they go because you really couldn't have a heaven without a hell. There, there, there really wouldn't be a, an understanding of heaven if there were not an understanding of hell. And Jesus really believed in it. Now, I know that's politically incorrect in our day. I know that in our day, you really don't like to think about hell. I mean, a loving God would certainly not cast anybody into hell. A loving God would certainly not send anybody there. God is, is a God of love. And so He loves everybody. And He wants everybody to be happy. I mean, in this life and in the life to come. And so He just would never, ever, ever even consider hell's possible. That's got to be something somebody made up along the way. Folks, I tell you what, Jesus believed in it. And Jesus said it was a reality. And seeing how there's this little situation where Jesus is God in the flesh, Jesus is the incarnation of the living God, He is God on earth, and He is speaking the truth of revelation in these words to us, I want you to understand, Jesus knew the reality of hell. The word there is Gehenna. It referred to, there was the place of Gehenna, which was just outside the city of, of Jerusalem. That was the, the trash heap, the trash dump that, that stunk and was horrible and burned continuously because of the trash that was carried out there. And that was the, uh, that was the analogy. Gehenna was the analogy. Hell is the reality. And Jesus says here that you, you must understand, you can't just say, you know, there were a lot of people in his day who said, well, you know, we have never committed murder. I, I imagine, could be wrong here, but I imagine if I were to look out at every one of you and say, now, I want to ask you, how many of you have never committed murder? I think all of us would probably raise our hand. No, we've never, we've never taken a gun and shot anybody. We've never taken a knife or a sword and run them through. We've never, we've never been so angry at somebody that we grabbed them by the neck and broke their neck and killed I mean, we've never murdered anybody. Jesus said, but that doesn't set you, that, that doesn't make you innocent before the law. Because the law says, I was thinking of Jack Bauer there, I'm sorry. You know, the law says, don't commit murder. But I say to you, I say to you, if you're angry, if you 
call them a good for nothing, if you call them a fool and question their moral turpitude, I say to you, you're guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to go to hell if you're angry. It does mean you're guilty of that breaking that law, that commandment, if you're not covered in the righteousness of Christ. You understand that? It means that it's, it's again, why was the law given? The scribes and the Pharisees were saying, well, the law is given so that you can be made right with God, so that you can obey and live. And Jesus said, no, 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 you don't understand. Just because you don't break it in a literal, absolute sense of the word does not mean you're not guilty. The law was given not to make us righteous. The law was given to show us our unrighteousness and show us our need for a Savior, to show us how we really stand before God. And so we look at our world and we go out in evangelism, we go out in missions, and, and, and we have to be careful. We just don't say, well, as long as you don't kill anybody, you're okay. Because Jesus says there is a practical application that makes you guilty in the third degree, if you will. He mentions it three times. But he said in the practical way in your life, even if you're a Christian, here's the important thing. If you're angry with your brother or... If you come to church and you're about to make a, a, an offering, a, 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 an offering to God. Now, obviously, Jesus is talking about altar here. We don't have altars anymore. There, there's no altar. You know, we sometimes you'll hear people refer to this is the altar. This is not the altar. The altar was at the cross for Christians. The altar, that's where the absolute sacrifice was made. But he says, if you're coming to make an offering and, and you think about the fact that somebody has something against you, Think about that a minute. He doesn't say if you come and you have something against somebody, go and make it right. He says you come to break your offering and you remember that somebody has something against you. Maybe you've hurt them. Maybe you've insulted them. Maybe you've said to them you're good for nothing. Are you fool? Or, or you've just been angry? And, and, and they've got this against you. He said don't make the offering. Now, most pastors won't tell you that. They'll say, well, go ahead and make it and then go get right. But Jesus says, don't even offer it until you've gone to your brother and you've made it right. You've gone to your brother. You've sought forgiveness. You've, you, you've sought an appeasement there. And you've been reconciled to your brother. Then come back and present your offering because that's an important thing. He said, make friends quickly with your opponent at law. In other words, he said, you know, it's better to settle things before they get out of hand. Jesus is being very practical here in this sermon, folks. He's, he's being very practical about how you and I are to live our life on every single day because of the fact that we're covered in the righteousness of Christ. He said, if you're in Christ and you desire to really live for the glory of God in every area of your life, then don't let these little things build up. Don't let these little differences and, 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 and points of opposition build up between you and a brother. You go and you make it right. You go and be reconciled. You go and bring about a, a reconciliation so that when you go before the judge, you can go hand in hand, arm in arm, and it can be resolved very quickly because the reconciliation has already been made. Today in our litigious, uh, lit uh, litigious society, all we do is we go with our lawyer on our arms, ready to fight. You know, Jesus 
earlier said, you know, if, you have, if your brother has sinned against you, go to him. And, and if he doesn't listen, take two or three and go to him again. If he doesn't listen, take two or three and go again. If he doesn't listen then, take it to the church. You know, that's a form of resolving issues, resolving conflict that is totally in opposition to our world. But Jesus says it's important that there be a reconciliation. It's important that anger will be stopped. Then he says, and I'll say quickly, you've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery in his heart with her, with her in his heart. So if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it away. It's better to lose it than to go into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it's better for you to lose one of your parts of your body than your whole body to go into hell. Now, that's a radical statement there. I, I don't think Jesus is literally saying, okay, if you're having trouble with this right hand doing things you ought not be doing, then go and cut it off. I, we had a, this is serious stuff, we had a seminary student when I was in seminary back in 1977 that actually took that literally and tried to cut his right hand off in his dorm room. He was a single guy. And he took that very literally. I think Jesus is saying it would be better if that would stop you. The problem was he could cut it off all day long and it wouldn't solve the problem. Jesus is saying, listen, I want you to understand that it's not a matter of just you shall not commit adultery. But if you think it and you dwell on it, if you lust after it, if you're, if you're concentrating on it. Listen, we live in a day that, that pornography is a multi-multi-billion dollar industry. I think, you know, I think Jesus was foreseeing thousands of years ahead and saying, listen, here is a problem, folks. Get a grip on it and get a handle on it and don't get caught up in that because in your heart you're committing adultery there. I think we, we live in a day that, that says, oh, well, you know what, we don't commit adultery literally. We don't commit adultery completely because we look at it as one act and a, a specific act of doing a specific thing and everything else up to that and prior to that and, and beside that is okay. If you don't believe that, go to the, I believe it was the NBC website not long ago. They did a special on Good Morning America and they talked about what the new goodnight kiss is among young people in America today. It will actually, I don't know if it's propaganda to try to promote immorality or if it's, if it's true. But either way, it was a frightening thing. I'm not even going to say it, what it is. It's so disgusting. But that was the new goodnight kiss. You don't worry about being nervous about a kiss anymore. How are you going to complete that at the end of the day, was the statement it was making. Jesus said, listen, there's so many things. You, you, you don't just look at it literally and completely and say, oh, well, I've never been married and committed a, an act of infidelity with another person, and so I'm okay here. He said, listen, if you lust in your heart, if you do many, you know, and some say adultery, well, you've got to be married to break that. No, you don't. The greatest rule, I think, is, as the Bible talks about it, the greatest standard of, of this kind of behavior is prior to marriage, Abstinence, in marriage, faithfulness. That's the easy teaching of the law here. Outside of marriage, abstinence. In marriage, faithfulness. 
or fidelity to one person, one wife, one mate for the rest of your life. Jesus is concerned here that, that all of these con concepts begin to happen and, and we think, well, just because we haven't done this one thing, we're innocent as a culture. I never thought I'd see the day where you were having to struggle with whether it was right or wrong for same-sex marriage. I never thought I'd see the day where the President of the United States issued a, a, a proclamation on June 1st, just a few weeks ago, where he said that, that June is now Gay, Lesbian, Bisexual, and Transgendered Pride Month in America. But that is, you didn't even hear it, did you? Many people didn't even hear about it. The news really kind of shied away from it. You can go to the White House website and find it. Next year, it'll be a little more obvious. And the year after that, I look for full-blown celebrations on the White House lawn. That's a violation of this commandment. It's a violation of the spirit of the commandment. You shall not commit adultery. Because you're violating the marriage vow that God says is sacred. You're violating the marriage vow that God said is one man for one woman in a faithful fidelity relationship for all of life. And the new morality, the playboy philosophy, is, hey, that's so Victorian. That's so out of date. That's so out of touch. God wants us to be happy. And so if being happy means doing something else, it's the, the law of situational ethics. It's the principle of, of situational ethics. If it feels good, do it. And it's all right. And Jesus says, I want you to understand that is a lie right out of the pit of hell. He goes on to talk about divorce. Oh boy. We spend forever on that. And we... We don't have time to do it now. But he's saying, listen, the law said, send them away. Give them a certificate of divorce. And let them go. But I'm telling you, God takes the marriage vows more seriously than that. In Moses' day, it came to a point where you could, you know, as long as you signed the certificate, and as long as you said, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you three times, then you were divorced. Maybe she burned the toast that morning. And that was, that was grounds enough for doing it. Uh, she didn't clean the house well enough. That's grounds enough. I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. It's over. Write it out. Send her out. Jesus says, no, no. Well, God takes that little vow that you take very, very seriously. Now, divorce is not the unforgivable sin. Adultery is not the unforgivable sin. Murder is not the unforgivable sin. There, there's no unforgivable sin here. But for the believer, Jesus is saying, if you're covered in the righteousness of Christ, if you have really been converted to faith and to life in Jesus Christ, then you take these matters very seriously. You don't say, oh, well, no big deal. God will forgive me. That's evidence of no grace there at all. That's evidence of no conversion. That's, that's taking the grace of God for granted. It's being presumptuous of God, not putting faith in God. Because God has called us to a life of holiness. And that's what Jesus is trying to show here. That, that the world breaks the laws in so many ways, but the believer needs to be diligent that if he's covered and she's covered in the, in the, in the righteousness of Christ, 
they uphold the standard. That they uphold the truth and that they live by it. By His grace and by His power and in His truth. You see what I'm saying? This is a, this is a radically, radically, radically passage of Scripture. It's radical. Jesus is saying, listen, this will change your life. It will change the church. It will change the world. You've heard it said, but I want you to tell you, I want you to understand something. It's far greater than that. If you're here today and you're not a believer, you're not a Christian, don't you understand just because you've not killed or, or been unfaithful to your wife or, or, or divorced your wife and sent her out for no reason, you're not, you're not innocent. You're still in need of a Savior. You're here and you're a Christian. Jesus is saying, listen, love one another. Don't be angry. Don't hate one another. Don't, don't hold grudges. He's saying, listen, don't just think because you're living under this letter of the law. Listen, keep your heart pure. Job said, I've made a covenant with my eyes. Not to look upon another woman in a lustful way. And a believer ought to be making a covenant with his or her eyes. We live in a day where this stuff is promoted just as though it's the normal thing. It's just what's normal. Everybody's doing it. So you're no different, so just eat, drink, and be happy because tomorrow you may die. Jesus says that's not a, that's not a worthy philosophy of life the believer really what he's saying here is that what comes from this table is what makes a difference it's when you know the that the body of Christ was sacrificed hung there as your substitute in your place and that this juice is the blood of Christ symbolic of the blood of Christ that was shed for your cleansing and for your being into the new covenant relationship with God Himself. The supper reminds us that we can't live up to the law. We can't obey the law at any level. But He's obeyed it for us. And He who knew no sin became sin that we who have no righteousness might become the very righteousness of God. In Christ Jesus. Yeah, there's forgiveness. And there's covering. And there's cleansing. In Christ. Nowhere else. But in Christ there is. Where's your trust this morning? Where's your faith? Where's your... Where's your walk? As we come to this table, maybe God just wants to, by His Holy Spirit, bring some conviction into your life in one of these areas. Chances are, if statistics are right, we're living in a world, even where in the churches, even sitting here this morning, there's a significant number who are allowing pornography to distort their brain who are watching it and thinking, oh, there's no 
big deal here. It's a big deal. Because it's, it's replacing what is right, replacing what is righteous, and replacing what God has said with a lie. It's exchanging truth for a lie. What we spent weeks talking about in the Truth Project. It's being held captive. Being held captive. Let's pray as we come to prepare for this table. So deacons come and prepare themselves to serve this meal. I want you to prepare yourself where you are. I want you to think about letting God examine your heart right now. I want you to ask Him, Lord, what is there that you want me to deal with before you this morning? What is it that you want to deal with in my life? Maybe it's in relationship to you and your spouse, husband or wife. Maybe it's in relationship to what you do when nobody else is looking. It's holding you captive. And God wants to set you free from that captivity this morning. As we examine ourselves, as we take these elements, I, I just want us to focus on that reality for just a little bit. You pray as we prepare.